Yes, let's hope all these kids grow up, you know, until, until they can understand the idiomatic expression of weighing and writing on the wall and, and so on. But let's see from us. This is a sermon of Reverend J. De Work, that, and it's on Daniel 5. And the story I told is coming from the book of Daniel, and we will read certain parts of the scripture going on. So that's the first step. The writing is on the wall, and there's two perspectives, God's perspective and our perspective. I just want to remind you a little bit of the background. If you remember correctly, um, the, um, Nebuchadnezzar won over Jerusalem, and he brought Daniel and his friends to Babylon, and he trained them up to be good advisors to him. But King Nebuchadnezzar landed in all kinds of trouble. And at some point, he was so demolished. He was like an animal. And they say, the Bible says he was eating grass until he reached the point and recognized God as the God of the universe. And then God restored him. And now his son, Belsassar, is king. And Belsassar is now the king. Now, when Daniel came, he was about 20 years old, and Daniel is now about 90 years old. So there was 70 years until this point. And you'll see how that plays into it. But there, I just thought it would be interesting to just say, where did this happen? That's Babylon. That's where Babylon was. And uh, Jerusalem, you can see there on the left-hand side. I don't know if this thing has got a... Yeah, there's Jerusalem, and here's Babylon. And that's basically the background of this piece of history. Belsasar is the rich fool of the Old Testament. The rich fool of Jesus' story accumulated wealth for himself until his barns were full, and then he sat, sat back and said to himself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be required of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Can you remember Jesus telling that story? Now, Belsasar is that person. Daniel 5, the writing is on the wall for Belsasar. While he is eating and drinking and making merry, God says to him, You fool, this very night your life will be required of you. And that very night, Belshazzar was killed, and the Babylonian Empire came to an end. As I said, there's the two perspectives. God's perspective. The first thing is, everything is in God's hands. What happened here was in God's hands. What happened before that, when, Bab when, when Daniel was brought to Babylon, and so on, was all in God's hands. The entire history, as we all know, is in God's hands. One thing, he predicted these events in, in, in Daniel, uh, in, in uh, Jeremiah. Let's read that. Jeremiah was a prophet um, 
long time before Daniel. Can't exactly remember now how many years before. But he, he said this, 25, verse 8 to 11. Therefore the Lord Almighty says this, because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord. And I will bring them against the land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and brides and bridegrooms, the sound of millstones and the light of the Lamb. The whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate forever. I will bring on that land, all the things I've spoken against it, all that are written in the book and prophesied by Jeremiah against all the nations. They themselves will be enslaved by many nations and great kings. I will repay them according to their deeds in the works of their hands. So all of these, as I said, the history is in God's hands, and he said that is what's going to happen. Daniel at this point knew the scriptures. He's read it. So he knew this was coming to an end. He knew it's 70 years have now been fulfilled. And there's going to be a new king and a new kingdom. And we will see as we progress through the book of Daniel, this new king will allow the people of God to go back to their country, to Jerusalem, and prepare the place and the way and the people so that Jesus can be born. But this is about God's rule in history. It's very important to realize that God does not simply set up history willy-nilly. He does not just work out his purposes irrespective of people's actions and attitudes. For example, he does not say to himself, okay, 70 years are up. I'd better go down and smash up that Babylonian kingdom now. As I said, I would. It is all in God's control how he does it. What happened to Belsassar is an illustration of a very important principle that we must keep in mind today. God is the ruler of the universe, and everything that happens is according to his plan and design and doing. His kingdom is advancing through Jesus Christ. He is saving those who are his, including you and me. And through Jesus Christ, he's conquering and rejecting those who are not his. His kingdom is advancing according to his design and his doing. By God's work in his kingdom is ne- but God's work in his kingdom is never willy-nilly, capricious, 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 a random allocation of blessing and punishment. It always matches exactly how people react and respond to the gospel, how people react and respond to Jesus Christ. Have you grasped the implications of this? You can never sit back and say, well, what God has planned will happen and it makes no difference at all what I do. I sometimes have that feeling, but I'm wrong. 
It makes no difference at all whether I embrace Jesus Christ as my Savior or not. If he wants to save me, he will. I can do nothing about it. I sometimes tell people about the gospel, and that's what they tell me. But neither can you ever say, well, all will God whom God has plan, planned to save, he will save. So it doesn't matter, any, make any sense for me to bust my gut trying to tell people about Jesus Christ either. I can't change what God had predetermined. These sorts of attitudes are directly contradictory to God's command that we all acknowledge Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and that we tell all the world about him and make disciples of all nations. God rules over all, and yet he requires us to do his will and work in the world. Be thrilled at God's control in every aspect of life, but never use it as an excuse to sit on your hands and do nothing. Was any of you, while you listen to the story, asking yourself, so what did Belsasa do that was actually wrong? What was it about his actions that brought about God's sudden judgment on him and his empire? Was it his supreme ignorance, arrogance? After all, Babylon was right at this time under siege from the Medes and Persians. How could he be so arrogant and foolish as to hold a banquet for thousands of his nobles when his city was under siege? History tells us that Babylon was such a powerful city and so well guarded and so well provisioned that the Babylonians boasted they could hold out against the siege for 70 years. By that time, of course, the enemies would be sick of it and would retreat. Babylon was right next to the Euphrates River, and they got fresh water from that. They could withstood a siege if they wanted to. But we now know, and we will see it in Daniel 6, Cyrus, the Persian king, diverted the waters of the Euphrates, so drying up the moat, and his men marched up the dry riverbed and took the city without even a battle. Belsasa was totally misguided in his false security and arrogance. But even his arrogance concerning, the ba concerning Babylon wasn't the essence of his sin. What really was Belsasar's sin? Why did he lose the city, the empire, and his life all in one night? We find the answer in this verses 1 to 4 of Daniel 5. King Belsasar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belsasa was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his no nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the God, gods of gold and silver, of bronze and iron and wood and stone. You see, it was, they basically was arrogant against God. 
And he expressed his arrogance by the specific form of sacrilege we read here in this chapter. Belsasar, you need to be clear, does not act in ignorance. He knows what these cups are and where they have come from. Belsasar knows about the Lord God, the one true God, but he laughs at God. Belsasar deliberately sets out to mock God, but the lesson he learns is what we read in Galatians 6, verse 7 to 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap the destruction. You've seen Daniel fearlessly exposing the sin of Belsasar. He said to him, But you, his son, O Belsasar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this, Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from the temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. The essence of Belshazzar's sins is this. He openly and blatantly set himself up against the one true God. He refused to acknowledge the God who held his very life in his hand. There was absolutely no recognition from Belshazzar that all he was and all he had was a gift from God. Instead, Belshazzar was openly challenging God to a duel, throwing down the gauntlet to him. What an utter fool he was. He knew the history of Nebuchadnezzar. He knew the insanity that his grandfather had been cast into. He knew Nebuchadnezzar's own account of the events and their meaning. But he casts aside all restraints, and the evil monster in his heart is allowed full reign, and his fate is sealed. You know what? There is no special road to hell. You just have to stay on your present road long enough. All who do not turn to Jesus Christ finally fill up the full measure of their sins and will be judged. It sounds like a horror story to the modern mind, which loves tolerance but cannot think of judgment and hell. But here it is. The most desperate human being of all is the one who has been given over by God to his own choice. Men and women and boys and girls are not lost because they are great sinners. Jesus is well able to save the greatest of sinners. He's able to save Belsasa and worse. Rather, people perish because they resist God all their lives and walk their own way until God's patience come to an end. That's what happened to Belsasa. And that's what happens to all who walk their own way for long enough. There is only one way to the Father. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. John 14, verse 6. Listen, just like Belsasar, all of you have been given a chance to submit to God's ways. Do you think that the living God does not see the hidden sneers in this church? at his holy gospel? Do you think he ignores the secret contempt that has been shown right here for the truth of his word? 
It is true that the proclamation of the gospel from this pulpit is full of weaknesses, but will God just allow it to be ignored, brushed aside as irrelevant and unimportant? God is not mocked. At last his hand will come writing on the wall for all of us. And will you stand on that day? What about the message from God, the one written on the wall? In a way, it summarizes the whole chapter. The message was short and to the point. Meany, meany, tickle, parson. The words describe coinage. At the time, God gave Daniel the interpretation. Each of the words was a pun. Meany, meany, meaning numbered. Tickle meaning weighed. Parson meaning divided. Daniel explains the meaning of each pun. Meaning, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. The first word of the message reflects the kingdom of God's perspective of this passage. God has determined the length of Belsasa's reign to the day. He has set out the duration of the Babylonian empire to the hour. The time has come to an end. God's people have been in captivity for 70 years. Now is the time for their release. Tikal, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Here is the personal perspective of this passage. Balsasar is unspeakably arrogant in knowingly setting himself up against God's kingdom and rule. And he brings about his own death and his demise. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And here's the result. The kingdom of God's perspective and the personal perspective come together. Judgment, just as God planned and determined it, but inflicted as a result of the despicable blasphemy displayed by Belshazzar. The warning is plain, isn't it? God has worked his kingdom purposes right through the history of the world. God brought down Babylon and set his people free again. The same God sent Jesus Christ to be the savior of his people. Through Jesus Christ, he has brought down the spiritual Babylon, the kingdom of darkness, and has set his people free. The purposes of God continue to be fulfilled. His kingdom continues to grow. The final end of his purposes will also come about. Jesus Christ will come as judge and he will have the victory when every knee bows and every tongue confesses his lordship. God's kingdom has come, is continuing to come, and will one day fill the earth. What are you doing about that? Let me say just this, dear people. Remember Belsasar and the writing on the wall. Right to the very end, the gospel is held out to you and me. Right to the very end, there's an opportunity to turn to Jesus Christ and be saved from God's wrath. But one day, the hand will write on the wall for you and me. Belsasar was only about 40 years old when his day came. He was in his prime, at the height of his power. He thought he was invincible, but his moment with God came. There is time for you and me right now but how long will it last? See it and grasp it and turn to the Lord before the writing is on the wall for you. We've sang earlier, and I, and I nearly just got up and said amen. What we sang is the gospel 
And that's all that needs to be said. But that you echo those words, lay down your burden and come as you are. God's promises will stand for you and me. And we can look forward to a new heaven and a new earth. And you can cry out with everybody and with, and with John in the book of Revelations, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. May God bless his word. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, your love and your kindness. We thank you that we can stand here before you and know that you are a great God and that you've made a wonderful plan for us. Will you let us use the time well and know that you are God. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.